So I had a realization today, guys, and I want to share this. I was at the grocery store, not more than an hour and maybe an hour and a half ago. And I saw a man in front of me and he looked like probably at some point in his life, he was probably you know, what we'll call like an alpha. He's probably an athlete in high school. He's probably like, you know, had a guy who probably moved well, looked like a relatively muscular guy in the past. He's not anymore. And he's standing in front of me in the line and he's eating basically like deep fried, what I'm going to guess is like samosas or something and jelly beans. So his dinner for today, he decided to run to the grocery store and he picked up some samosas and jelly beans. At what point does it does a human decide that samosas and jelly beans is a good idea for dinner, right? And at some point in his life, and it could have been from a very young age, he maybe eat poorly, but it didn't look like it with this guy. It looked like, you know, he probably at some point ate really well and or maybe he didn't, but maybe he was just as an athlete. But he's he's not anymore, right? He's he's very out of shape. You can see it is he just looks looks like he's kind of given up on life. And I was like, okay, well, what point does at what point does it does it go to that? <laughs> so I got to thinking, and I get I'm guilty of this too, and I'm curious if you guys can resonate with this. We'll typically eat to the level of the demands of our life, right? Or we'll typically, yeah, we'll we'll eat based on the demands of our life. So if life is easy for you and you never really lack energy, you never really lack like you get you got enough energy to go to work and you get home and you just gotta sit on the couch, nothing else to do. Then all of a sudden it's like, I can kind of eat whatever because it doesn't matter. But if we said to you, hey guys, next Monday, we're going to go climb a, a mountain for nine hours. What would everyone do? First, they would panic. Then they would say, okay, what do I need to do between now and that point to make sure that I don't die, right? And so by putting a slight increased demand on yourself, there becomes this opportunity to upregulate or upgrade your standard for yourself, right? So if I say, hey, tomorrow... We have to go compete against each other in the gym. And, you know, the winner, I don't know, is paying a hundred bucks or come up with some stake that or some some uh, reward or some punishment that is valuable to you. Would that change the way that you approach your nutrition? Would that change the standard to which you eat? And I think the answer for most of you guys would be yes. Some of you guys may already eat very well, right? But I think in general, most people stop um stop making good decisions because they stop placing demands on themselves. What do you guys think about that thought? That's my theory. And if we simply learn to place slightly bigger demands on ourselves, we would then maybe hold ourselves to a higher standard. You guys, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Anybody have any feedback? Does that feel like it makes sense? Yeah. So everyone in this group is, is already saying, hey, yes, I self-identify as someone who wants to put a higher standard on myself. Right, so okay, great. We're gonna help you guys do that, right? We're gonna help you place you. You're gonna place the higher standard on yourself. We're gonna we're gonna walk you with the path and how to do it. Now, here's the thing: each and every one of the people on this call, including the coaches, is capable of more than you think you are, right? Or more than even the goals that we set for ourselves. Would everyone agree to that? Yeah. And sometimes we set small goals because why? Because we're afraid of failure. Maybe we're afraid of success, right? Maybe we're afraid of judgment. Maybe we're afraid of sacrifice. Maybe we have a story about how hard it's going to be. Maybe we just aren't, we have no idea how to do it, so we don't want to think about it. Right? What are the reasons why we sometimes settle for less than we're capable of? What do you guys think? Maybe we don't value it. Maybe like, that doesn't really, that doesn't really say that maybe a big of a deal. Like, I don't really care if I have $100 million in the bank. I don't really care if I'm 6% body fat, right? <laughs> So you have a standard that you set for yourself at some point in your life that's about what's acceptable for you. 
So sometimes, would you guys agree or disagree that society sets those standards? So we don't always set our own standards, do we? Society sets the standards. Like who's, who decides what clothes you're going to wear today? You think you do? Bullshit. Society decided that, right? If this was 50 years ago, you guys would be wearing the same clothes you are now. It's not because you want you like these clothes. It's because this is what is like, cool, this is the standard. So I encourage everyone to start to think about your standard and who put them there. And is your standard up to standard? Is your standard up to your standard? Is it good enough for you, right? Now, and I, I love that term specifically, good enough, right? Because it should never be good enough, right? Because if you can do more, if you can demand excellence of yourself, then do it, right? Why not? You only get one shot. Tomorrow's not promised. So I encourage each and every one of you guys to ask yourself, where are you talking bullshit to yourself about what you're capable of? Meaning selling yourself short, which many of us are, right? Um, and so, yeah, where's the story you're telling yourself holding you back? about how something might be too hard, or maybe you don't have the genetics to do it, right? You don't have a story like that? Yeah, I think we all have stories, don't we? We all have stories about, and, you know, it's not that important. I don't, I don't care that much. Do you actually, or is that because you failed in the past and maybe you don't believe in your ability to follow through, right? Sometimes we need someone in our life who's going to be our mirror, right? Someone who's going to look you back and go, hmm, they're being honest with you, right? Sometimes the mirror is like looking back at you and telling you the honest truth that we don't want to see. How many of you guys in your life, guys and girls, have a mirror, not necessarily a physical mirror, but someone in your life who you can trust to be completely honest with you and hold you to a higher, higher standard than to which you hold yourself? Anyone? Would anyone want that? Would anyone think that'd be an, a desirable thing to have in your life? Would anyone not want that? Would anyone think like, no, nah, I don't want that, man. That's sort of like too much pressure on me. Yeah. Serious question. Like, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a real thing, right? And I, again, I don't know the answer, guys. And I don't, I don't pretend that I'm going to tell you the answer. But what I hope to do often is stimulate thought, right? Stimulate a new way of thinking for you guys. That's it. So the greatest gift that anyone's ever given me is questioning everything that I think I know, right? When someone, or at least allows me the opportunity to start questioning my sh my bullshit, my stories, my beliefs, I believe that's the opportunity to progress if you want to, right? So no coach in this world can make you do anything, right? What we do really well as coaches is we ask good questions. We ask stimulating questions. And hopefully you come to your own conclusions and step up your standard for yourself, right? So one of the things that makes me a great coach is I've been to the top of the proverbial mountain of this physique world, haven't I? Been to the top. I know what it takes. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that every one of you is capable of more than you're currently giving, right? So what was the difference between someone who is giving their all and not? One thing, the standard to which you hold yourself. If you create a higher standard and you place some demands on yourself, you'll change. If you don't, you won't, right? So I often talk about people needing a worthy adversary. What's a worthy adversary? I'll tell you what, this is a funny story. I, I have some deeper, you, know, you guys have you guys heard about like the, 
the um the shadow like people talk about like the darkness that lives within you that that like shadow part that nobody wants to show anybody we definitely have some of that yeah <laughs> or a lot and uh, so i met a man about a month ago and he was just this like intimidating menacing human like probably six six two thirty like you could tell he was uh steve yeah you could tell he was uh a he's like actually an ex-pro football player he's actually a professional boxer who killed somebody in the ring and I, man, all I could feel myself wanting to do was fight this guy. I was like, I, was like, I don't want to fight people ever. I'm like, I, I want to get in the ring and fight this guy. Like, I want to fight this guy. And everyone's like, why? Why would you want to fight this man? I'm like, because he's a worthy adversary. I think he kicked my ass, but he would make me so much better to actually, you know, train for that, pre prepare for that, right? That's the draw to like extract greatness from myself, right? So, point being, maybe there's someone in your life right now who you know, or maybe you don't know, who when you look at them, you're like, man, that person is like a worthy adversary, or maybe they're a worthy icon, right? Maybe someone you can aspire to. So, another conversation that I had today was about social media and how social media can both be viewed as a bad thing like i have to keep up with the standard of all these people on social media and now i feel insecure about myself or you can flip that and say well the people that i'm viewing on social media and like maybe the standard they're keeping for themselves is is uh, an aspiration for me maybe they inspire me right anyways it's a bit of a tangent for today uh to start off because we're supposed to talk about maximizing your performance in the gym which we are we are but um, I, I wanted to get into that first because I was just a stimulating thought. And I think the thing that we can all do for ourselves, for each other, is hold ourselves to a higher standard. So we talked about like in your 20s, you value something. In your teens, you value something different. In your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your values change, don't they? Like the hierarchy of importance changes. And it should. And at some point, most people become aware of their own mortality and they start becoming aware of their health, right? They start becoming aware of longevity and taking care of themselves. And some people do it too late. Some people don't do it at all. And some people, like the people on this call, are, are doing it now, right? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can't fault somebody for not having the values, the same values you do. It's simply different. There's no right values and wrong values, right? They're simply values. So, this is important for you guys to know in, in your personal relationships. If your partner doesn't have the same values and you guys tend to fight about things because you're making decisions based on different criteria, that doesn't make them wrong and you right. It doesn't make them right you wrong. Simply different values. So it's different decision-making criteria. So you have to be you have to come to terms with that, right? If you tend to fight with people, simply different values. They may value something different than you do and they are not wrong, right? And you're not right. And so like learning that is like, okay, that's important. You have to let them live in their values. And if you can't live in each other's values, then you, you renegotiate the, the relationship. But their values are very, very important. So I was thinking about extrapolating maximum performance in the gym today. And I was walking through all this list of things that would allow me or you to push, right? To really push to a level that we haven't before. Here's the thing that I realized is it's people want to go from zero to a hundred, right? And everybody wants the sexy answer. Everyone's like, how do I go from like really going slowly to going full speed? I want to go, you know, gas pedal all the way to the floor. What you guys need to start looking for is the 
micro opportunities to progress. I'm going to walk you through a bunch of stuff. But first, how do I become aware of micro opportunities? Like when I say micro, it could be the smallest little thing that you do consistently today or, or, or over some span of time that allows you to make changes. What, what, what do you think the first prerequisite to all change is? You guys have heard me say this if you've ever listened to my podcast before. What's the prerequisite to all change? Even before you can start, you have to recognize, yeah, you have to, it's awareness, right? And awareness can otherwise, you know, a cinnamon for awareness in this case could be consciousness. I have to become conscious of it. I got to be conscious of what I'm doing. Yeah. So how many people on this call can legitimately say you're conscious of 50% of what you do in the gym? Or maybe, I mean, you, this, is, this is not your life. We're talking the gym. Like 50%, raise your hands. If you say 50%, that's very good, right? How many people think they're, they're conscious of 75% of what they do in the gym? Good. How about 90%? Bullshit. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. I guarantee you're not. Like you think you are, but you're not. Right? Why? Because like I haven't seen anybody, very few people I've ever seen in my life who are 90% conscious of what you do in the gym. Most of what we do is unconscious. You do things well. You can do things well unconsciously, right? I'm not saying you do it poorly, but being conscious of all of 90% of what you do in the gym, think about that. Are you thinking about your posture when you're when you're training, are you thinking about your breathing when you're when you're training? You're thinking about your your mindset when you're training. Are you thinking about contracting specific muscles in specific ways when you're training? There's so many things happening at an unconscious level you're not aware of, right? So there's a gap between doing things well and doing it consciously. So because, right? So your body is always looking for path of least resistance, and if you aren't conscious of it, your body's making things easier, which isn't inherently wrong, but it may not be what you're after on a day-to-day -day basis. So the, the first prerequisite to change is awareness, consciousness. So if we want to become more conscious in the gym, here's my suggestion, guys. Everything you do before you start training is going to set the tone for the workout. So if I want to become more consciously aware of what's happening inside of my body, what do I have to do? Practice. Start your workout, start your day, with some type of internal awareness practice, right? You guys have heard me talk about meditate, breathe, walk, meditate. Yeah, it's the same thing. So I, if I want to kind of tune in my body's ability to, let's say right now in the background of everyone's room, there's uh, a tap dripping. You can't hear it. If you, if you, if you maybe close your eyes or you start going to this, you know, calm present state, you start becoming aware of what you what you feel, what you hear, what you see, what you smell, and what you taste, five senses, and you start listening really, really closely. It's actually the best example is your heartbeat. How many of you right now can hear your heartbeat? None, right? But how many of you, if I were to stop talking, and even if I didn't stop talking, you just like went into a meditative state, could zero in on your heartbeat. Everyone, right? Absolutely everyone. That's kind of the same idea. So when you go into the gym and you're saying, well, first, if I want to become better at something, right? I need to do better than I've always done. That means I need to do better. I want to become conscious of it. What's your practice when you start the training to say, well, what's going to allow me to kind of, you know, for lack of a better reference, like hear better, right? Like really, and it's not here, but it's cue into what I feel at a really, really acute level. So, 
A great way to do this, if you guys aren't already doing this, is before probably 95% of my workouts, 99, 95% of my workouts, I'll do some cardio. I'll do 10 minutes of cardio. If you guys are in my coaching, you guys all do this to start with well. So everyone in my coaching does 10 minutes of cardio to start. Why? Three objectives, right? Did you know that any type of bilateral stimulation, walking, running, uh, cycling, steps, actually is a really effective way of syncing the left and right hemisphere of the brain. So we have, we have, we have different hemispheres of the brain, left and right. And oftentimes, in many people, these two sides don't talk. So the left is doing something, the right is doing something, and it causes a disharmonious brain signal. So by doing bilateral stimulation, walking, running, step mills, or bicycling, we actually teach the opposite sides of the brain to talk. Have you ever heard of like cross-body patterning, where you take the same move across the body, take the same move across the body, touching things across the body? By taking the hand across the body, it actually sinks the hemispheres of the brain, right? So you could do cross-body patterning, or you could do walking, walking, running, cycling, or step mill. All of them work to create this, this bilateral coherence, yeah? So I don't want bilateral coherence in the gym. Well, if I want to learn to be more present and be more conscious, I want my brain to be working. That's one benefit. Second benefit, aerobic fitness, right? I want my my body to become, it's kind of like, think about like warming up. Like my, my lungs become more effective at exchanging oxygen and CO2 with the environment. So I want to, I want to build my ability to exchange oxygen and CO2 with the environment. Third benefit, consciousness i can i can be very present on my in my body when i'm doing something that's ultimately mindless and simple right i wouldn't tell you to become hyper conscious if you're doing a snatch right which if you got a snatch is a very complex um, olympic lift because it requires a lot of nuance like i don't want you to do repetitive snatching but if we did a really simple exercise like walking running cycling um step mills because it's so repetitive, you can become conscious of it. There's three benefits, okay? So I suggest everyone start your workout with that. There's additional benefits to these things, but with respect to getting a high-performance workout, start there, okay? As we progress down, what else do we need? Well, I need to make sure my body moves well, right? So I've become conscious. I've upgraded my ability to, to exchange oxygen with the environment, which is great, Um so, and the next thing is I need to make sure my body moves well, right? I've seen the left and right hemisphere of the brain. I need to make sure my body moves well. So, what do you do? Find some exercises that you love for assessing joint range of motion, okay? So, assess joint range of motion. So, what is what do I do? Again, probably 80 to 90% of the time. I don't do anything 100% of the time because I like to change it up. But 89% of the time, the first exercise I do in gym, who wants to guess? Lunges. Why do I do lunges? Ankle, knee, hip, spine, rib cage. That's a lot of joints to get conscious of. Ankle, I don't even say, actually ankle, knee, hip, spine, rib cage. That's a lot of joints within that, right? So the lunges in my mind directly allow me to assess those five joints. So, and also put my hand over my head while I'm doing lunges. So it allows me to, to sink into my... Um, posterior sling. So that's a good thing to think about. Okay, so I'm, now I can assess what do I have at these five joints? What am I capable of at these five joints? Multiple joints, but 
you know, these five aspects of my body, right? So then I, I want to assess what am I capable of? Now, if you feel limitations left to right and you're looking to train at a high level, we call this unlocking a higher level of performance, well, then you need to know how to increase mobility on one side or the other or increase mobility in general. So what does that look like? Right? In introduce a mobility practice. So mobilize. And simply, guys, simply put, it might just mean staying in that position. Just stay there for a minute and allow the body to get used to it and get stronger there. Right? So the first means of progression is always time. Always time. It's never load first, right? Time is always first. That's how we progress. And then we can go into, okay, well, maybe I implement some type of mobility practice like, I don't know, I like Aldoas. You guys are familiar with Aldoas. Many of you have been prescribed Aldoas. Maybe you've, you've done some PNF stretching. Anyone done PNF stretching? Proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation? Yeah. So we're just basically teaching the muscle how to contract in those positions. Good. So that's great. Okay. So now we've assessed, we've, we've got kind of all the systems in the body doing well. Like, okay, we've checked off a lot of boxes. Right, but I haven't checked off contractile ability yet. I haven't actually ramped up my muscles' ability to contract. So the first exercise we should probably do is what we call an activation exercise. Right. So when you activate, you want to turn on the muscle you're trying to train. Right. So an example being, I make it to the really short position of a bicep curl or the really short position of a quad extension or a chest exercise, and just stay there. Just try to increase contractile ability from that short position. It's really, really useful. But here's a little hack that adds to your overall ability to train. You have to look for what other muscles or what other joints are going to limit your ability to perform. Here's an example. How many of you would love to build a bigger chest? Okay. Yeah, it's a real question. So do you know what the number one limiting factor is to building a bigger chest? It's never your chest. What is it? It's the it's you know it's your it's your traps and your rhomboids, right? So why is it your traps and your rhomboids? Because your ability to keep your shoulder blades back will determine your ability to to activate your pecs. So therefore, if I'm doing an activation before I train chest, I will always do some type of trap and rhomboid activation to make sure that my body is capable of keeping my shoulder blades back. And now that needs to be one first, really really precise. Right? Contractions have to be precise, not general. Then it has to be amplified, meaning it starts like bunny fur soft contractions and really precise, and then starts progressing up in an ascending way. Right? So maybe before I'm right before I'm about to train, those muscles are really ramped on. Third, we want to make sure we don't induce fatigue, only activation. So when I induce fatigue, that means I start feeling a little tired there. Don't do that. You want to feel like I'm ramping up contractile ability without fatigue. Okay. So another example, when I'm squatting, I, obviously I, I, can, I can activate my quads, I can activate my hamstrings, and the complementary muscle is my glutes. If you want to squat more effectively, activate your glutes. Right? Some people go, I'm going to activate my quads. Your glutes have a huge con contribution to squatting. So think about what, what muscle groups are directly contributing to my ability to do this exercise and activate them. And activation, guys, is simply like, taking the muscle to its shortest position under control, like precise contractions and spending time there, right? And I'm trying to ramp up contractions. So one of the things I used to do is this like 
progressive um, progressive effort sets. So like rep one will be like one out of 10 perceived effort. Rep two will be two out of 10. And by the time I get to rep 10, I'm giving like 100% effort as far as contraction. It's not a lot of weight. It's a lot of top-down motor control, right? Brain to muscle motor control. And that's a hugely beneficial uh, practice if you want to get better at training any muscle. Right? So you talk about extrapolating performance. We've gone through a whole checklist here of things that you can do immediately to make sure your body is first prepared, right? Do the basic stuff to perform on a high level. When I talk about performing at a high level, everyone's looking for supplements and whatever, whatever. I'm, I'll get there. But first, I want to make sure we're covering the bases. So another thing that, so moving on from contractions, another thing we can do is we can move on to something that's that's what we'll call, a, well, to use common language, a compound exercise, right? I call these integrated exercises. So meaning there's a lot of muscles that are integrated rather than isolated, right? So moving, starting with a compound exercise is a very good idea. Why? Your whole body, if done correctly, your whole body will have an upregulation of the nervous system's transmission. So the brain and the central nervous system, which are ultimately one and the same, right? Have an increased neural output to the peripheral nervous system. So the brain goes ramp up adrenaline, ramp up cortisol, ramp up dopamine, acetylcholine, get these things going because I need a lot of uh, output. So starting with something that's neurologically demanding is a good idea, really good idea. Now, how much kind of depends. So I think at this point in the workout, you can induce fatigue. I think you should intentionally induce fatigue. I personally use that first exercise, that first compound exercise to push into fatigue, not just touch fatigue, but I want to like repeat, 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 repeat. So I've been known to do eight to 10 sets of that first exercise, that first working exercise. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, so I like to do a lot of work on, <laughs> on this first exercise um, because that's where I feel like I'm inducing the greatest amount of neurological adaptation. What's a neurological adaptation? The nervous system's ability to contract more muscles, more muscle fibers, more, more ultimately motor units per contraction, right? That's how we train the nervous system. I want to contract more motor units per repetition, right? So the heavier and ultimately the more compound these things can be, the more uh, I can recruit the nervous system, okay? That's important. So the, here's a good sequence that we're putting together for you guys to understand, okay, well, what do I need to do to get the most out of this thing, okay? So at this point, hopefully, your whole body's fired up. By this point, you're like, okay, I'm ready to run through walls if I needed to. That's what you should feel like. And if you haven't, you're not there yet, right? So it's, honestly, sometimes you either keep going or say, I need to do better on the things that build up to this. So now if we talk about, okay, well, how can I get the most out of those, those compound exercises and the subsequent isolation exercises, right? So we do compounds and now we have isolation. But there, there's, there's some nuance here on how we can extrapolate higher amounts of performance out of these things. Okay, so one of the things that I do is, and I've been doing this today, I want everyone of you to try this. So let's say, for example, let's pick a machine that's relatively mindless for you to do, right? Call it like a, I don't know, like a chest press or like a side lateral raise in a machine. Something that doesn't require a lot of like internal stabilization, just a single joint exercise. It could be a bicep curl or a calf raise is a really good idea. So here's what you're gonna do. I want you guys to try one breath for every four reps. 
That doesn't mean you go fast. That means you breathe really, really, really slow, right? So the inhale may be 10, 15 seconds. The exhale may be 10 or 15 seconds. So if you were to repeat that, and maybe you did five breaths per set. So if you just said, I did, I did four reps per breath and five breaths per set, I get about 20 reps. Try that and see what happens to your perceived effort. I'd like for you guys to report back to me next week. What happens to your perceived effort? Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in advance, but you guys can go and test my theory. Your perceived effort is going to be extremely low. You're not even going to notice that you're doing an exercise that's burning. Like a leg extension would be a good example. So if I did four reps for every one breath on a leg extension, your performance is going to go up. I guarantee it. Because your perceived discomfort will fall away. Have you guys ever done any um, any like ice ice baths? Yeah. So what's the first cue that everyone says you get in an ice bath? Slow your breathing. Why do they say slow your breathing? Because that's the key to getting out of discomfort. It's the key to to not having to get into the sympathetic nervous system. So the body goes. You'd be surprised how much you can keep performance up and keep perceived effort down if you learn to uncouple the breath from the reps. Does that make sense? Now, this is going to be hard for you guys. So don't try it on like squats and deadlifts or something like that. Try it on a very simple exercise like bicep curl leg extension. Something is a single joint exercise done in the machine. But there's a really good opportunity there. Really, really good opportunity. So that's one way you can breathe. Some other opportunities uh, for breathing. So one thing, another high-performance breathing technique that I use often is, there's a couple of them, but here's one that I use. So let's say I'm going to lay in into an exercise. And again, don't do this on things like squats and deadlifts because I don't like to mess with, if it's the first time you're messing with your breath, just be aware. Um, try this. Blow all your air out through your nose. Don't do it now, but when you go to the gym, blow all your air out through your nose, plug your nose. And right before you're about to do your set, or sorry, right before you're about to have a strong desire to breathe, breathe in through your nose as fast as you can. Then do your set. Tell me what happens. So you're doing you're doing a long breath hold. Can you know? And then right when you're about to go, it's breathing in aggressively through your nose and then go. Try that. You could do multiple breaths in through your nose, but I like just one. Try that. And so you'll get an increased performance there as well. Typically I'll do that one if I'm using heavy weights. So if I want to get like a like a big three or a big six or something like that, three reps, six reps. Then I'll do that type of breathing because I find that I, I burn out faster. If I want to maintain 20 to 25 reps, like high reps, then I'll do the really slow breathing where I'm disconnected from or, or call it uncoupled, uncoupled from my reps. Okay. So that's one, there's two options. Third option you could do is you can just do hyperventilating. So if you guys have ever done like a Wim Hof breath where it's right, so do that 30 to 40 times as fast as you can. Then blow all your air out. Hold. And then as you're ready to breathe in again, breathe in and train. You can even train on the hold. I don't recommend that, but you could. And so, but but once you've held your breath and you breathe in, train then and watch your performance go up. So that's three simple practices you guys can implement next gym training that will extrapolate a higher amount of performance for each individual set. Here's the cool thing about it, guys. Nothing is right and nothing is wrong. It's simply an opportunity to explore a new way of doing it and see what works for you. You could be like, yeah, that didn't work for me today, 
But if you try it again in three weeks, it might work really well for you. Remember, the first time you do anything, you can't expect huge progress or huge changes. But if you do it repetitively and you commit to doing something over time, I'm telling you, this is a game changer. Okay, so let, I'm going to wrap the training component. There's a few supplements I want to share with you guys as well. So there's two in particular that come to mind, um, maybe three actually, that come to mind that I think everyone should consider. So there's actually a supplement that has all three of these in it that I designed that I could share with you guys. So first ingredient I would suggest is um, is L-tyrosine. So L-tyrosine in, in a you know, low dose, four, three to 500 milligrams is uh, a really, really good resource. Really, really good. Don't use it every day. You know, once or twice a week, three to 500 milligrams. <laughs> it's 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 so good, but don't ever do it, right? Because because what you're doing is you're you're potentially compromising your own dopamine system. So the time I would do it, guys, is if you if it's a leg day and you really want to get after it, like you really need that extra bit of motivation. Alzheimer's is a good way to go. Another one is uh, acetyl L-carnitine, same dose, like th- about 500 milligrams of acetyl L-carnitine is uh, just great. So you'll get you'll get motivated, you'll get driven. And it also is really good for driving fat into fat cells. And the third one is alpha GPC. So um, alpha glycerophosphocholine GPC. Yeah, it's really what, what he's holding up his hand. So I designed the product. So it's there's a product that Matt's holding up his hand by ATP Lab. It's a Canadian company. You can get it on Amazon in the US. Uh, it's got those three ingredients in it. Yeah, and as far as like caffeine and stuff, like green tea is a good idea. Like coffee is a good idea. I don't usually suggest taking caffeine supplements. It's not a good idea. Yeah, in general, that's all you need. Like for for an amazing, amazing pick me up, it's not going to give you any pump. If you guys want to have some high performance workouts, that's a, that's a pretty good, pretty good stack. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com/learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe. Share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content. Leave us a review and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive muscle intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, Thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day. I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.